Genesis chapter 1, beginning of verse 26. And that verse is going to be our focus today, though I'll read down through verse 28. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the water, or upon the earth, I'm sorry, upon the earth. Shall we pray? Father, it is with great expectation that we continue on to read about the days that you created the heavens and the earth. And we come now, Lord God, to a very special event, that took place on that sixth day, one that truly will help us to understand more of the scope of the way and the reason and the plan and the purpose that you created things in the way that you did. And we are blessed to be able to commune with you today to hear from your heart to receive from your word to be strengthened by your wisdom we ask that you would fill us with your spirit help us Lord in being attentive to those things that are said today as we tie them into that communion that we partake of each month together and realize, Lord, what a wonderful creator you are. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. All of what we know to be God's creation up to this point is merely the overture and the introduction to the symphonic climax to what would happen toward the end of the sixth day. Mankind, as I hope we already have, but mankind must come to grips with the fact that the creation of the human race was the central object of God's creative purpose from the very beginning. In a very significant sense, everything else was created for humanity and every step of creation up to this point had one main purpose, to prepare a perfect environment for man. Let me interject here that this is not some kind of, of an arrogant statement or some would say an, a chauvinistic statement as it were. That we would exalt the human race. 
But as we find out today, as was God's plan, we were created in His image. And what that does to us really is humble us more than lift us up. But the human race is still at the center of God's plan and purpose for the entire material universe. How do we know this? Well, because Scripture says that everything else is going to eventually perish. It will go out of existence. It will all burn. It will melt with fervent heat, as we'll read here in just a moment in Second Peter. But I want you to consider a pattern that was established with what Jesus began saying in Mark, let's say Mark 13, verses 24 and 25, when Jesus said, as He looks to the last days, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And you carry that thought through to the book of Revelation where you read in Revelation 6 verses 13 and 14, And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it, was, when it is rolled together. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And you get this picture of things changing from what we knew it to be to what it's going to be. And then Peter will conclude, at least in this particular thought, when he says in Second Peter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And so in effect, all that was created will be uncreated. All that is in the universe will cease to exist, except humanity. Did you know that God created man to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever? God created man to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. (laughs) And forever is a long time. Psalm 30 verses 11 and 12 say, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. How many of you have just experienced that in your life? Not just, but I mean, have you experienced that? That He's taken you from your mourning, your weeping, your lamenting over the things that this world can cause to you, and He's turned it into dancing. Can you say yes? Can you say that you have? Praise the Lord. You're awake this morning. And this is the first service. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to Thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto Thee forever. Oh, listen church, we need to wake up to this. We need to wake up to the fact that we are not to be silent any longer. We are to praise God forever and ever. Are we the church? Are we the body of Christ? then let's do it. Revelation 5, verses 13 and 14. Let this become the song of your heart each and every day until Jesus comes. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I say. And by the way, did you notice that's all the creatures? John said, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Let that be 
our pattern. That we praise God for His glory. So think about it this way. Creation, as it unfolds, establishes a theater in which a great redemptive saga can be played out. Man is the central main character. But even God's own Son becomes a man at the height of the drama of redemption. And the purpose for the entire universe being created is revealed. That God's mercy and grace and compassion could be lavished on this creature whom God has created in His own image. And now, for a very profound and humbling thought, in the end, the theater is destroyed. The creation of the human race is clearly the foremost issue in Genesis chapter 1. The creation of the human race is the foremost issue in Genesis chapter 1. Everything concludes in this event. Scripture devotes more space in describing the first Adam's creation, that would be the first man, the first Adam's creation, than any other facet of creation. And because this final act of creation was so vital and decisive, all of chapter 2 is dedicated to an expanded description of it. Let me add one more thing before moving on to our exposition. What I've said so far lends to a great significance in man's creation by the Creator. Something that counters evolution's philosophical belief that if man was just a product of billions of years of evolution by random chance and, and through a series of biological hiccups from amiga, uh, amoeba through other multi-cell creatures, then in the vastness of a massive universe, man has no real significance whatsoever in the evolutionary scheme of things. But I want to show you a slide. I want you to look real carefully. Now, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to turn some lights off so you can get an even better picture because we have that backlight over there. Do we have a way to turn off these lights up here? Thank you. All right. Well, I wish we had covers on those doors back there. Y'all see two circles? Now look at the very center of the circle. Do you see that, that little dot there? Say you can see it or raise your hand. I don't know why you raise your hand in the dark. I can't see you. <laughs> All right, but you can see that little dot in, in that little circle there. Y'all see that? that? That's the slide I want you to see. Keep your eye on it. Well, we can kind of see it there, but I mean, you know, you, you, but it's that little dot that's in that little circle. It's a little dot. All right. As Voyager 1 reached the edge of our solar system in 1990, astronomer Carl Sagan asked NASA to instruct Voyager to turn around and take a picture looking backwards towards Earth. The grainy image showed our home as a tiny pale blue dot. In a book written soon after entitled Pale Blue Dot, I quoted, uh, as a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago from Sagan's book, 
The atheist Sagan wrote this. And I quoted this part last time. Our imagined self-importance, he said, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Saying that, uh, in effect, in the scheme of things and in the size of things, we are really insignificant. Now, a Christian named Don Batten points out in an article written for Creation Magazine, commenting on Sagan's book, writes this about the statements that Sagan had made. He said, having reduced our significance to near nothingness, Sagan then tried to offer something positive. And then he quotes Sagan again, There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. But then Batten continues uh, to comment on that statement. and He says, just how being insignificant suggests that we should be kind to one another and care for planet Earth escapes me. And then he said, who cares if, as Sagan said elsewhere, who cares if the cosmos is all there is or was or ever will be? Who cares? You see, my question to you all today is, is the cosmos all there is or was or ever will be? Do you understand the question? Is what we see, you know, what man has seen today, what scientists say, well, just kind of came out of some kind of a cosmic accident, Is the cosmos all there is, or was, or ever will be? May I remind you all of Psalm 8? From beginning to end, Psalm 8 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man? That thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Is the cosmos all there is or was or ever will be. What is man that God is even mindful of him? And the Son of Man that he has visited us. So how do we answer the question, what is man? Very simply, he is the peak of God's creation. He's the peak of God's creation. He has, or is, I should say, such a special creation that a consultation was held prior to the event. 
The first consultation in the Bible. Verse 26, And God said, and this of course is different than the other and God said phrases that we've already read. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And by the way, we'll study next week and see how different image and likeness is. They're very similar, but not exactly the same. And that's why it says that we're made in His image and likeness, because they're two distinctive things. But let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Well, we will deal with the how of man's creation in chapter 2, but now we will consider the who. And God said, and then remember that the word used for God here is the Hebrew word Elohim. The word ending in I am always denotes plurality. But uh, we've already defined this as a plural word that is using a masculine singular vowel. Therefore, it means one God, but more than one person. One God, but more than one person. In this term, Elohim, God is being revealed as a triunity. And all I'm doing is just skipping ahead between Genesis and Revelation and realizing that what the Bible teaches us about God is that there are three persons that are designated as God, but there's only one God. There's one called the Father, and He's God. There's one called the Son, and He's God. There's one called the Holy Spirit, and He's God. But but, but the Bible still says there's only one God. That's a mystery in a sense for us, but, uh, but the fact of the matter is there's still one God. And these three persons making the one God were consulting with each other. God said, let us make man in our image. And so, the use of the plural, let us, in our image, after our likeness, is consistent with the idea that there is one God in three persons, what we know as the Trinity. And there have been those who have suggested that the plurality used in this particular verse is a royal plurality. Uh, this is uh, an idea of such that says that uh, royalty always kind of speaks of themselves in the third person. In other words, if Queen Elizabeth decided one day that she was going to ride her bicycle around Buckingham Palace, she would tell all of her people, uh, we shall ride our bicycle around Buckingham Palace today. So, uh, you know, people call that a royal plurality because I guess they think of themselves a little higher than we we, being them, uh, are, are going to do certain, certain things. But others have said that the uh, Lord was speaking to angels. And he said, let us make man in our image. But that's a major problem because, you see, angels were not created in God's image. And man wasn't created in the image of angels. And angels had nothing to do with the creation of the first Adam anyway. Why do we know this? Because of verse 27. So God created man in his own image. So it's not angels that he's talking to. The triune God. The Godhead makes this grand determination in such a way that allows us to understand that it is God and God alone. who has created us in His image. And therefore, in our image is our focus today. 
as we head toward the table of communion this morning. In our image. These short plural phrases speak of the creation of the first Adam in terms that are uniquely personal. I know that there have been people who have said that they have a struggle with, with evangelical Christians who preach the gospel and tell people that uh, they, they need to pray uh, to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And they say, we don't like that word personal. Well, I don't know about you, but I certainly want to have a personal relationship with the God who created me. Nothing wrong with having a personal Lord and Savior. I mean, I know that if He's your personal Lord and Savior, He's mine too, so we're not like going to fight over it. No, He's mine. No, He's yours. No, He's mine, you know. That's not the idea. The fact of the matter is, He's given us personality that we might have fellowship and communion with each other. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, by the way. But it established a personal relationship between God and man that does not exist with any other aspect of creation. Not with light, not with water, not with the other elements of even earth itself, not with the sun or the moon or the stars or any other stellar body, and not even with the other living creatures that God made. And while God created all those things by the word of His power, He has no personal relationship with any of those things. Not even a hint of intimacy or personal identification. But at every opportunity we see in Scripture, God's personal involvement in the creation of man. Skip over to verse 7 of chapter 2. It's probably on the same page that you're on, since we're so close to chapter 2. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's pretty personal. I don't know about you. But if you started breathing into the nose of the person next to you, that, that'd have, that's, 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 that's just an example of personal. I mean, that's, that's getting pretty personal there. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Yes, God did give life to the animals, but he gave man much more, as we shall see. Man is different from every other created being because he has a created consistency. I want you to remember that little phrase. Man has a created consistency with God. A created consistency with God, which means that there is an unbridgeable gap between human life and animal life. We cannot bridge the gap. We may be biologically similar to certain animals, But we are quite distinct in our moral, intellectual, and spiritual capabilities. Quite distinct. Add to this thought that there is also an unbridgeable gap between man and angels, as we learned from Psalm 8. We were made a little lower than the angels. Distinctively, we're not like angels. But angels cannot have the same kind of relationship of love and fellowship with God that we can have. That makes us distinctive from them too. So with these thoughts in mind, then we can say without any reservation that the incarnation of Christ, you know what the incarnation of Christ is? Jesus taking upon himself flesh 
incarnation, in flesh. So with what we've just learned about this created consistency that we have with God, then we can say without any reservation that the incarnation of Christ was entirely possible. That God in the second person of the Trinity could really become man because even though deity and humanity are not the same, or deity and humanity are not the same, they are compatible. They are compatible. Created consistency between God and man. Human life does have value. And let me even add to that, human life does have intrinsic value. What does it mean to have intrinsic value? It means to have basic, essential, fundamental, built-in, inherent value. Because human life is made in the image of God. We have value. It is man thinking away from God, thinking that there is no God, that says that man doesn't have value and doesn't have significance. But whatever significance you yourself can build up for yourself. But God says we have value because He gave us His image. He stamped His image upon us. You know, this understanding is more important than just wanting to have a quality of life. Some people today are just seeking a quality of life, even a, a basic or maybe a, 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 a you know, minimal quality of life, but a quality of life anyway. This is more than quality of life. This is eternal life that we're talking about. And there are three things that I want to focus on for the rest of our time today. And that will hopefully lead us into our time of communion with the Lord. And we'll close with other significant aspects of our uniqueness in being created in His image. First of all, there are three aspects to the concept of being created in the image of God. I guess you can already tell that we're not going to go very far today in chapter 1. Because we have communion. and we, But, but I wanted to tie some things together with that. But there are three aspects of the concept of being created in the image of God. The first one is this. Human beings possess personality. Human beings possess personality. We have knowledge, we have feelings, and we have a will. And this sets us apart from all animals and plants. No other creature can speak like we can. Only man can express his sense of shame through blushing or, or by a variety of facial expressions. Only man can. And I don't care what they do on the internet to make, you know, monkeys look like they're laughing and screaming, smoking cigarettes or dogs praying or whatever. You know, I mean, all those you know, they're cute pictures, but no, no, no. There's some, there has to be something connected to that here and here. The animals don't have it. We can, help, we can make animals mimic man, but, we, but they're not men. It's not humanity. We possess personality. A personality that can be expressed in so many different ways, far above and beyond the animal kingdom. And even plant life. And I have to say, we're, not, you know, we're apart from the plant life too, but I don't know. I went to school with some people that looked like vegetation was, was quite a, you know... Hope somebody watered them while they were sitting there. 
Secondly, human beings possess morality. Human beings possess morality. Man alone is able to make moral judgments and have an active conscience. And I say that, you know, because I could have just said, you know, and have a conscience. No, we have to have an active conscience, a living conscience, because there are too many people who have a dead conscience to the things of God. And it becomes more dead as they learn about things from an evolutionary basis and standpoint. That everything's relative and, you know, you know, you have your own truth and you can do whatever you want in life. No, 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 no. We need to have an active conscience. What is a conscience anyway? It is that which can determine and sense what is right and what is wrong, the principles of life and the ethics of life as we should be living them among each other. God built that conscience in us to know what is right and what is wrong. We have and possess morality. Thirdly, human beings possess spirituality. Spirituality. Man was made for communion with God. I mentioned that earlier, but again, I think it's worth noting. We were created to worship God, to have communion with God, to have fellowship with God, to have a relationship with God. It is on this level of spirit that we communicate with God. That's the image of God, you see, that God was talking about. Let's create man in our image. We're going to read a scripture in just a minute that talks about the fact that that God is a spirit. But we are to worship Him in spirit and in truth. The image of God, which is what the animals do not have. You know, there's an interesting thing about, about how we were created. Let me interject this here real quickly. Like plant life, we came out of the dust of the ground. That's what God used to make us. But plant life only goes so far, right? There's, there's life. There's physical life. The animals then were created. The animals came with life as well as with what? With the, the soul, you know, the living soul. So there is that, uh, that aspect of... of uh, uh, some consciousness, but uh, it's consciousness, not so much that active conscience we just talked about. But when we were created, we were created far beyond that. Life, yes, out of the dust of the ground, with a consciousness, but with a spiritual connection to God. That's the image of God that we are created in. We know that we're going to see how we lost that in the garden. Actually, not so much lost. But when God said, you do these things, you shall die. Spiritually, we died. The regaining of that life would come through the promise of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But we're getting ahead of ourselves again. Man is the only creature that has a natural countenance looking upward. There is a connection. The likeness, when we talk about the likeness that we're created in God, is more toward the physical understanding. We'll talk about that again next week. But the fact of the matter is, we are the only creatures that have a natural countenance looking upward, looking toward God. Looking toward God for what? For communion, for fellowship, for relationship. The only ones... 
I think of David when he says in Psalm 40, verses 11 through 13, he says, Withhold not thou, tender, uh, thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me, for innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. Have you ever felt that way? That when the trials of this world are so heavily upon you or the struggles that you're dealing with or or the temptations that you've been fighting for so long have been so heavy upon you that you can't even look up? But David goes on to say, There are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart fails me. But... But then he says, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. Why? Because we weren't made to look down. We were made to look up. We were made to have that connection with God. But in Psalm 5, verse 3, David says, My voice shall hear thee, and uh, shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. That's why as we come to church on Sunday mornings, that uh, hopefully we come with just a little bit of an awakening in us so that when we come to praise God, we can look up with eyes bright and shiny. I hope. (laughs) By the way, you've proven really good uh, uh, that you're awake today. And then I just love the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 21, verse 28, when these things begin to come to pass, as he's looking and telling his disciples to look to what is to come, he says, then look up, he says, and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. Your redemption draweth near, it's coming. Be ready, look up. That is what Christians are to be doing today, looking up. Not being weighed down by the things of this world. Not being weighed down because we've, 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 we've gathered the complexities of this, of this world and of this life and, and we've tied ourselves into too many things that are not of God. We need to break those things and start looking up and realizing Jesus can come at any moment and take us home. Look up and lift up your heads. The rest of creation is taken care of. God's going to take care of them. We don't have to worry whether our pet's going to make it to heaven or not. Because it's not about them. And I'll tell you what, God has built it into His creation that they know that already. We may not hear them or understand their barking or their meowing or whatever. What we can understand is those animals, as we studied last week, were made for our pleasure as well. And they've been such a blessing to us. But there's no blessing like the blessing God's given us. Because beyond this life, there's something that no one truly has ever seen except the Lord Himself. And when we get to experience that, you talk about rejoicing now, wait till then. But we don't want to wait. We want to see Him now. Man is in no way related to the beasts of the sea or the sky or the land? What animal can transmit accumulated achievements from one generation to another? What animal experiences a true sense of guilt when it does wrong or has a developed consciousness of judgment to come? What animal shows any desire to worship? What animal has hope of immortality beyond the grave? 
What beast can exercise abstract moral judgment or show appreciation of the beauties of nature? When did we ever see a dog admiring a sunset or a horse standing breathless before the rugged grandeur of a mountain range? Anybody? Oh, my horse was just appreciating those mountains. That horse was hungry for oats or whatever they eat, you know. What animal ever learned to read and write with understanding and coherence, to act with deliberate purpose and set goals and achieve long-range objectives? What animal ever learned to cook its food or to cut cloth and make clothes or, or invent elaborate tools? What animal ever enjoyed a hearty laugh? What animal has the gift for speech? Even the most primitive human tribe possesses linguistics of a subtle, complex, and eloquent nature. So you know what the conclusion of this is? Man stands alone. Apart from all of creation. Physically, man alone of all the creatures of the globe walks upright. Now some of you say, well, I don't know. We've seen some of those apes in there. You know, they, walk, they kind of walk upright. Yeah, this is not upright, okay? And then look at their, their hands. First of all, their arms are... A whole lot longer than ours. And it's the last time I ever seen a, a human being with real, real long arms, I know that they weren't using it just to swing from place to place. We walk upright. We're the ones that are supposed to be concerned about our postures. We're the ones that, are, that need to walk upright. Why? That get, makes it so much easier to look up to the Lord and trust Him. Man alone of all the creatures of the globe walks upright. That's physically. And then mentally, man has the, the ability to communicate in a, and may I say, in a sophisticated manner, much more sophisticated than all of the animals of this earth. Oh, we might say, well, you know, I heard that dolphin go, you know, whatever that said, I mean, you know, but, what, but that's not, you know, communication. And please, don't tell me you have a parrot that talks. All it does is mimic. Man alone has the ability to communicate. And we communicate in a lot of ways, with our mouths, with our facial expressions, Twitter, all this kind of other stuff. Physically, mentally, and now spiritually. Spiritually, man alone has the capacity to know the mind and the will of his Creator God. Man alone and no other creature I'd like for you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. I mentioned the fall of man in chapter 3 of Genesis. And I know that we're going to spend some time when we get there. Hopefully before the rapture of the church. But uh, that, what, that which was lost at the fall of man will be renewed again when a person turns his life over to Jesus Christ. And this is how we know because it says in verse 8 of Colossians 3, but now you also put off all these things or put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. By the way, aren't those just Certain things, though, on, on, on kind of the bad sense that man does, 
Animals, you know, when, 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 when we say that a, an animal is angry, I mean, it's, it's not so much angry as it is just responding in, 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 its, in, in its environment, the way that it's made, you know, it, it, has, it has its own uh, uh, ways of having to deal with its own protection and whatnot, you know, the, the instinctive elements of, of, of animals. But not us. Oh, we can get angry. We can get wrathful. We can show malice toward people. Dogs, and they don't do that. They don't think up ways to hurt other dogs. Blasphemy. Who are they going to blaspheme? Filthy communication out of their mouths. Dogs don't cuss at each other, you see. Horses. Can you imagine horses cussing? <laughs> oh, this is about us, isn't it? The ills of man because of the fall of man. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. But notice verse 10, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after what? After the image of Him that created Him. The image of Him that created Him. We have come back to the image of God. And we know who it is. By reading Romans 8. Because in Romans 8.28 it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate, and notice, to be conformed to the image of His Son. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. The firstborn there, not meaning that Jesus was, was, was a born uh, creation as, as we were. He was not a creation. He is, a, he is the creator. As firstborn, he is the prototype of that image of God. And then it says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, predestinate them, he also called. And whom he, all, whom he called them, he also justified. And whom he justified them, he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If we have come back to the image and conform to the image of his Son, if God is for us then, who can be against us? But the important thing is you've got to be conformed to his image. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4.24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that is where our image is connected to God's. The spiritual part of it. Our spirit with his spirit. And when we come to grips with that in our life, guess what? Then we can understand with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now we can understand why it is important that we were made in the image of God. Because God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And that brings us to this table here today. And we'll see in just a moment how all this connects. So let's pray.